Um, I was actually going, I actually had in my notes to do a, a little plug for the kids' ministry myself. I was going to uh, try and do the hard sell, and then I saw Derek do it, and I'm just going to let it sit the way he did it. I do feel like he missed an opportunity. Having known Derek for nigh on 20 years now, uh, I was sure that when he brought the kids up to pray, he was going to say, now look at these kids. Look them in the eye and tell them they don't deserve kids' ministry. <laughs> I thought you were going to really drive it home there at the end. <laughs> so this morning we are in um, uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so I'm going to read our verses, which is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In Eugene Peterson's uh, The Message, he gives us a, a, a different kind of insight into this. I'm, I don't know how you feel about the message version. I don't... Should we... Uh, should we swap over? Okay. Um, I don't always love the translations, but I love the way that he puts this one. Uh, uh, Eugene Peterson translates it like this. Let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your saltiness, or you've lost your usefulness, and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine, keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I would wager that if you grew up in church, you've heard more than one sermon about salt and light, and I, I would definitely have understood um, if you'd wanted to skip this morning. And just remember, you can time this right. If you volunteer for kids, men, you can skip the sermons you don't want to hear. Um, but so let's start by talking about salt. Let's talk about what that means. Um, modern Christians actually often make the mistake of thinking that, um, uh, that Jesus doesn't call us to be salt, but rather he calls us to be salty. And uh, the Urban Dictionary has this great definition of what it means to be salty. The act of being upset, angry, or bitter as a result of being made fun of or embarrassed, also a characteristic of a person who feels out of place or is feeling attacked. It's super easy to be salty. It's way harder to be salt. And I love this image of salt that Jesus uses, because when you're cooking, and I'm, I'm speaking purely amateur here, this is like when I talk about like music or, and stuff like that. I have no skills in this area, I've just seen it on TV. Um, but my understanding is, when you're cooking, that there are, there's a big difference between seasoning and spices. Spices carry a flavor that affect the overall taste of the dish. So if you add cumin or basil or um, oregano, or oregano, I don't know how to say that word. Um, uh, if you add these different, uh, these different spices and herbs, they will 
they make the, the dish taste like the herb or the spice itself. But if you use salt, when you season with salt, salt doesn't have a flavor unless you completely overdo it. What salt does is salt draws out the flavor that already exists and makes it more powerful. It enhances. It doesn't replace taste. It adds to it. And I love that idea that when we follow Jesus, we're not um, simply having some kind of other um, uh, version of ourselves being pasted over ourselves, but rather the things that are deepest within us that are most key to us being part of being made in the image of God, made by Him, loved by Him, created for a purpose, that the salt is what draws out the deepest depths of that image-bearingness within us and presents it to the world. We don't become less ourselves, we become more ourselves and God becomes more uh, visible and palpable as a result. Following Jesus, I think, doesn't mean so much doing different things as it means doing things differently. The early church had this amazing reputation um, because they were trying to embody this completely different life. And the world around it didn't get it. The empire didn't know what to do with it. And so they would call each other brother and sister. And so everyone was like, wait, this is... they would accuse the church of being incestuous and they would, they, would, they would meet around a common table and they would break down barriers between the rich and the poor and the slave and the free and the Jew and the Greek and they would all come together around these tables um, and things would be broken down and they would gather together to, um, uh, to eat, to take communion and, and they would say, we eat, you know, the flesh of Jesus and we drink the blood of Jesus and they were accused of being cannibals. They did these, um, these normal things of gathering around a table, but they did them so differently that people couldn't recognize them. For us, following Jesus hopefully means not doing completely different things, but rather doing things in a completely different way, more deeply, with more insight, with more kindness with more intention and consideration and, ref- and reflection, loving sacrificially and living lives that are open to each other. Following Jesus should bring out the deepest flavors of the human experience. It should transform what it means for us to be family, friends, neighbors, partners, parents, and people in general. One of my favorite examples of uh, my dad being salt rather than saltiness um, is, uh, it's, it's kind of hard telling stories about my teenage years. Like, I'd much rather tell the stories where I'm the hero. Uh, there are very few stories like that from my teenage years. Um, but the first time I was caught drinking at 13, um, my dad, um, yeah, just let that sit. Um, You'll also notice that's when I said the first time I was caught drinking. Um, uh, the, it, it, it wasn't a good set of teenage years, but I um, was caught drinking and my mom found out about it first and then my dad found out about it and my mom was very, very upset. And we had just, we were living in Bangladesh at the time and my mom found out when we were back in Ireland, but my dad was still in Bangladesh, still working on some projects. And, you know, she, mom uh, was really upset and she was crying and, and, and she was, you know, it was heartbreaking and then and I said, well, maybe we could just, you know, keep this between us. <laughs> and she was like, I'm going to have to tell your father when he comes back from Bangladesh. And I was like, I am absolutely terrified. And it wasn't like, you know, a, co- a few hours. This was days, weeks. I think it was about two weeks before he got back. 
And I was terrified. And, um, and he came home and, you know, we had a normal couple of days. And then my mom filled him in and said, Scott, go get in the car. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm in deep here. And I was like, well, you, know, where, you know, where is he going to take me? And I was, I was relieved to see he put me, I got into the car in the front seat and he didn't like put me in the boot. Um, <laughs> um, and we were driving up towards like the, you know, we we're driving past the entrance to the woods and I was like, okay, that's not where he's going to bury me. Um, and, you know, we we're kind of weaving our way through Greystones and, and uh, he pulled down to the golf club, to, the, the, uh, to a golf club. And I was like, what is going on here? And he brought me inside and he brought me and he sat me down in a restaurant and he handed me a menu and said, order whatever you want. And I was like, surely this is a trick or a trap. Maybe I'm being poisoned. Um, and we sat down and we had very awkward small, small talk. We ordered our, our food. And then my dad said, Nothing, no way in which I discipline you or give out to you is going to, is going to change anything that's happened or necessarily change any behavior. But as a father, my issue isn't with the fact that you have been drinking as if that's a category in and of itself. As a father, I want to know what is it that leads a 13-year-old to think you need this? Like, where does this come from? Like, tell me about the why. Tell me, tell me about what it is that you feel is missing or what ways in which you've been hurt that makes you think that, 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 that has led you to say, this is my solution. Like, I want to understand you. For me, that's what salt looks like. It's where the choice of punishment is there, but we choose understanding and conversation and dialogue and compassion instead. Where our desire is not to bend the world to our will, but to understand the world at such a deep level that we can, we can hear our heartbeat in tune with its brokenness in a way that allows us to come alongside of it, be part of it, and change its trajectory. It means that we're a different kind of friend to each other. We're a different kind of neighbor. We're not trying to keep up with our neighbors, but when our neighbors are struggling, we're trying to keep them up. This salt brings out the deepest flavors of the human experience so that the world can taste what it means for us to have been made in the image of a God who is love. And he also calls us to be light. We are called to be the light of the world. Madeleine Langell has a great quote. She says, We do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely they will, that they will want with all their hearts to know the source of it. C.S. Lewis has, has this great line. Uh, well, it's, more than, it's more than a line. He has this great um, section in chapter 10 of the problem of pain where he talks about that, that way in which the cry of all of our hearts is to find the one who set this world into motion and who is active within it in all people and at all places, drawing all things to himself. And he describes it as that something which you were born desiring and which beneath the flux of other desires and in all the momentary silences between the louder passions, night and day, year by year, from childhood to old age, you are looking for, watching for, listening for. You have never had it. All the things that have ever deeply possessed your soul have been but hints of it, tantalizing glimpses, promises never quite fulfilled, echoes that died away just as they caught your ear. 
But if it should really become manifest, if there ever came an echo that did not die away but swelled into the sound itself, you would know it beyond all possibility of doubt. You would say, here at last is the thing I was made for. This is what it means to be light. To be a light so lovely that people cannot help but be magnetically drawn to it. And I love the way that Jesus combines two images. He says, you're the light of the world and you're a city on a hill. And I love the idea of combining those two things. It's like a combination of promises of old and promises of the world that will one day come to be. And the old promises are like those in Isaiah 9, which is the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. And it's the promises in Revelation of the world to come. And this city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. It will be always open. You see, because the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about, that this Sermon on the Mount is his manifesto of, is not a secret club that you have to be a detective to find, or an exclusive academy where you have to pass a bunch of tests to get in. There's no waiting list, there's no velvet rope, there's no height requirement, there's no admission fee. It's a city on a hill, unmissable, undeniable, and irresistible. It's a place for those who are wandering to find rest, and it's a place for those who are lost to find a home. Jesus continues, and he begins to talk about the law and the prophets. And in the mind of Jewish listeners, the law and the prophets, these are the, these are the Torah, is what we would call it now. And these were more than rules or saying. It was the totality of their understanding of what it meant to be God's people. So when they see Jesus acting or teaching differently, they're afraid that he's undermining the importance of the traditions and the, the shape of their lives and their identity. To which Jesus responds, no, I'm not trying to destroy the, destroy the law and the prophets. I'm here to fulfill them. I'm here to teach you what it means to be made in the image of God, what it means to share his life and his heart for this world. The danger or the tragedy at this time was that the dynamic relationship with God that the people in the Torah, and, and the, sorry, that the people of Israel had in the Torah had become more and more eroded over time. Obeying the law had been a way of keeping God off your back and using it as a weapon to judge others and punish them for falling short. But the covenantal relationship with God through Abraham began with a promise. I will bless you and make your descendants more numerous than the stars, and I will bless all nations through you. Jesus is the fulfillment of the blessing. He's what the law and the prophets have been pointing to. He's not breaking God's promise. He is the promise of God, and he is the God who keeps his promise. The promise to bring blessing and restoration to the world. Last week, we talked about blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He talked about what it means to understand ourselves as blessed. When we encounter trials, when we struggle, when this world and this life are tough, blessed are we when we persevere in this, in the belief that God is doing something transformative. And in this next passage, what we have is the invitation of God to be a blessing to the world, 
to be salt that drink, brings out the deepest flavors of the human experience so that the people who encounter us as individuals and as a community will respond the same way as the psalmist who says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That we would be light, on a, the light of a city on a hill, a community that is not hiding away and whose gates are never shut, but, but are a place for people to come home to, to find rest, to find redemption, to find love and belonging and community, no matter who they are or where they've been or whatever their experience is. The invitation is to be blessed, but also to be a blessing to the world around us because we are not hoarders of blessing. We are conduits of blessing to the world. And every time we hold on to it, it's almost like the manna in the promised land that just immediately goes stale when we try to eat it the next day because we've been holding on to something. Because God will always continue to bless. And the challenge for us as a community is that the way in which God chooses to bless the world right now is through us, through your individual life. What does it mean to be salt in the place that you work? What does it mean to be light in your family? What does it mean for us to be light together here in Rathmines, in Dublin, what is the way in which God wants to bless the world through us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness that you have been working from the beginning of time. To reveal your heart and your goodness to every person in all places and at all times. Make us people who are salt, who have the deepest flavors of you. We would bring that experience to the world around us. Make us a city of light, a city on a hill, a place for those who are struggling, a place for those who may feel lost, a place for those who have questions, a place for those who are hurting that they would be drawn to it. And that at our doors, instead of finding judgment or exclusion, that they would find welcome, that they would find family, and that they would find home. Make us who are blessed, Lord, the fulfillment of your promise to bless this world. In your name, amen.